Welcome to The Dish, the show that uncovers the stories behind the world's most famous dishes. We are your hosts, Tomo and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us and expert guests with tasty facts, foodie secrets and more. everyone, welcome to the show. Today we are talking about the Cuban sandwich and the essential ingredients that make a real Cuban sandwich because people seem to have very different opinions on this. Yeah, and it seems to come down to really one particular ingredient. Oh, yeah, actually a few ingredients. There is more than one, I reckon. But we'll get into that as we go through. And also we'll be talking about the history of the Cuban sandwich. Is it really Cuban or is it really more of a Cuban-American fusion dish? We're going to find out. Yes. So, with that note, quick little disclaimer. People do sometimes get a little bit offended when we question the origins of traditional foods, especially if it happens to be one that they grew up eating and had heard stories from grandma or, you know, um, abuela. See? Uh, has been telling you where it came from, but uh, we have done our best to look at the different opinions and sources regarding this history of the Cuban sandwich, and we can't promise that it will align with everyone's viewpoint. No, but we certainly don't make podcasts to intentionally offend anyone or their traditions. And we welcome debate on these topics. You can join us in our Facebook group, Food Worth Travelling For. Just search Facebook for that. And that's our little personal group. And we can chat about it if you've got some different opinions that we haven't covered. We'd love to hear about them. But keep in mind, as always, uh, there are subjective cultural opinions and knowledge about the traditional food that have been taken down through families. And there's also recorded documentation. And both of these things form an important part of food history. So we're not saying that your abuela's opinions are wrong or right or that documentation is always completely reliable, just that both of them make up the interesting tapestry of food history. So we're not trying to get in any fights, but we know this episode may have people going, are you serious? That's not what my grandmother told me. This is completely wrong. You guys are making stuff up. But we're just sharing what we've learned from researching this. With that in mind, let's do it. All right, so the Cuban sandwich, what is the deal with that? I am a pretty big sandwich fan, I have to say. Who isn't a sandwich fan? I mean, really. Koreans, maybe? Uh, Gluten intolerant people. No, they still like sandwiches. They just like, anyway. Gluten free sandwiches. (laughs) I can tell you the Cuban sandwich has plenty of gluten in it. So the Cuban sandwich, as we know them today, they actually stick to a pretty strict formula, if you are a purist, that is. And it includes the following. So, a Cuban sandwich needs Cuban bread. Now, what is Cuban bread, you might be asking? Cuban bread is a yeast-risen dough that it's got a little bit of fat in it, which is traditionally lard. Good. That's where that pork's coming back into play. Yeah. Uh, It's long, white, soft on the inside, with a slight, light, crispy crust on the outside. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. As a side note, actually, Cuban bread is best when it is eaten the same day. So they've got to get it made and get it out because that tasty, tasty lard after a day or, you know, the next morning hardens and then that's when the bread gets dry. So this is very much a a make in the morning, get it out, get it eaten. And when you're done, you're done. All right. Sort of thing. Well, I'm all right to eat that. So let's do it. Um, I also learned that above all, with making proper Cuban bread, you need a moist palmetto leaf, also known as cabbage palm. You put that on top of the dough before it's baked, 
and the dough rises and wraps around the leaf, and that gives the bread flavor. Ah, all right. If you actually Google palmetto leaf, you'll see it, and it's just like a traditional-looking, like, sort of palm thing. You'll be like, oh, that's a palm. Okay, cool. But apparently that is one of the main things that goes into giving Cuban bread the flavor that it has. I'm not saying it's from Cuba. I'm just saying it's oh, a well, thing. We'll get into that, We I guess. will get into that. So, I, I mean, basically it comes down to if it ain't Cuban bread, it's just a sandwich, not a Cuban sandwich, regardless of the interior I mean, it does ingredients. depend on who's making it. Some people are very happy to have it on a French baguette. Some people are happy to have it on some, you know, Italian loaf. I want lard. I know. Personally. I always I do. I know. And if you've ever had a proper crispy Cuban sandwich, like, you just... Oh, it's just perfect. But anyway, that's that's the a lot of people, if you're real purist, it will have to be on this particular Cuban bread. For toppings, you will be looking for a mild smoked ham, a roasted pork marinated in that mojo spice blend, so the bitter orange, oregano, cumin, garlic, onion, vinegar, and salt. Swiss cheese. Specifically Swiss Very cheese. Very specifically Swiss cheese. Mustard, sometimes butter. And if you're extremely particular, exactly three pickles. No more, no less. All right. Well, quite a few of those ingredients, like Swiss cheese specifically, were not available in Havana easily. Exactly. Which is why I'm like, is this really a Cuban sandwich? Yeah. Well, we're going to get a little bit into the yeah. history, but the eating of the, of the particular Cuban sandwich, you may have had one before, you may have not, but you can have it two different ways. You can have it completely fresh or you can have it pressed and toasted. Um, and the machine that they use to toast it is called a plancha. And the plancha, which literally just means just metal means, plate. Yeah. Yeah. They use this, like, pollo a la plancha is just grilled on the hot plate. Exactly. Chicken grilled on a hot plate. Spot on. So, yeah, it is a flat top grill that comes from Mexico and Central America. So, what they do is they get, they get it on both sides. They compress the sandwich, which heats it. It makes that bread, that nice, crispy. Lardy, crispy lardy, crispy awesomeness. Oh, the cheese good. melts on the inside. They cut it diagonally, and then they serve it to you on a plate, which is amazing. Yep. Now, there is a slight difference if you are from the areas of Tampa, Florida, and they will be adding Italian salami to their Cuban sandwiches. Interesting. Yeah, but I'm... They hotly contend that they are actually the inventors of the Cuban sandwich, but uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, because from what I remember from my geography lessons, Tampa isn't in Cuba, is it? No, it is Florida. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But All they, right. oh, between Tampa and Miami, they're just like, Rawr, we did it. No, it was me. It's insane. All right, so let's have a little bit look back in history. No one really actually knows where the Cuban sandwich originated from, but there are some tales. Of course, everyone likes a good tale. So some people say that the first Cuban sandwich was made more than 500 years ago by the Taino tribe in Cuba. They were one of three different cultures that inhabited the island before the Europeans arrived. And instead of using proper bread, which they didn't have access to, they used cassabe bread. So that was made from the yuca. And what it is, is it would turn it into like a flat bread. So it's almost like a hard cracker. And it was made from the cassava flour, which is apparently really toxic if not cooked properly. 
Yeah. Which I didn't know that, eating a whole bunch of yuca when I was in Central America. And I'm like, oh, toxic. Yay. Hopefully they figured out how to make it these days. They so have. It's yeah. all right. Not Apparently what poisoned. you do is you grate it, you squeeze all the toxins out, you dry it into a flour, sieve it, and then, you know, it gets cooked and all the toxins and nasty, nasties are gone. All right. Well, you know, anything toxic sounds great. So yum, yum, yum <laughs> So, time. yeah, I mean, I can't really say that, you know, it really, it, it's like they had some stuff. Come on, there was no pork. In between some crackers. No, there was no pork. So they would have been using things like... Iguana. Iguana. It was an iguana flatbread. Little birds, all those other things that they could get their hands on. I know. Like, whoever is proposing this doesn't understand what a sandwich is. I know, right? So, yes, of course, when the Spaniards arrived, they did bring with them that tasty, tasty pork and ham, and that transformed the sandwich, sandwich in. In in I'm doing I'm doing finger finger things. Yes, Um, finger finger licking pointing finger hookies. Yeah, you know that transformed it into a porky porky heaven. But I still don't say that it's a Cuban sandwich. It was a crisp bread made in Cuba. Apparently, they also did substitute the cassabe for a dough like thing that also that the Spanish brought with them. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems a little. For me. So let's fast forward to the late 1800s and early 1900s, and we're heading to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So this is back in the time when travel between Cuba and Florida was easy peasy Japanese. Like Key West and Tampa and Cuba, people were coming back and forward for employment because the big trade at that time was the cigar and tobacco factories. Mm. So, a lot of people would start with a job in the cigar factories in Havana, and then they would get a, you know, their family would move out to Florida and they would get a job out there, particularly in Tampa. So, yeah, because of this really largely undocumented movement of people, it's really hard to say when or where this new sandwich evolved and where it came from. It is thought that the sandwich was a common lunch food for workers in the cigar factories and the sugar mills, and it was a popular lunch of the Cubans. So they they really were asking for this particular thing, and they think it was like a popular thing that came from Havana, and they were asking for it more and more when they hit Tampa, and so they started making this particular sandwich for them, and because the Cubans were asking for it, they called it a Cuban sandwich. Mm. So perhaps... There was some original Cuban sandwich going on in Cuba, but obviously there's not a lot of documentation to support the original one. No, absolutely no documentation at all. So all you know is that they wanted some porky stuffed on bread. Yeah, as you would. Yeah. But does that make a Cuban sandwich as we know know. it today? I don't know. The the modern dish with all those extra things like the ham and the Swiss cheese and the pickles, that seems like a Cuban sandwich. Just a pork bread sandwich. It's just a pork sandwich. Doesn't sound like... Yeah, it doesn't sound like the same dish to me. All of those additional ingredients came from the influx of other immigrants from other countries that were also working in these cigar factories. So people from Germany, people uh, from Spain, also people from Italy. Someone from Germany just came in and went, yeah, this this pork sandwich has no pickles. Why why would I want to eat this? This is is the wrong style of the sandwich. They also introduced the mustard because – there's a lot of condiments that didn't hold up very well in the Florida heat. 
because they, of course, in those days, they didn't have refrigeration. You might have had like an ice block that was delivered to you that, you know, you had to keep stuff cool with. But in general, you know, if you put slabs some mayonnaise on it, that's going off. Yeah. So mustard was something that could hold up to the Florida heat. And so that was something that was introduced to the sandwich. Also with the Italians there, the salami came in, in Tampa. Yeah, but not everywhere else because I've, I've not really had it with salami. It is very much a Tampa style. Yeah. So this is where they're saying that the actual, all these ingredients came together and formed the Cuban sandwich. So the Cuban sandwich is really the international sandwich. It kind of is, yeah. Like, really? But it's just, it came from the fact that a whole bunch of Cubans were demand. asking. Cuban yeah, demand. Cuban demand, yeah. International integration. So what we actually have is the first recorded mention of a distinct Cuban sandwich coming from descriptions of workers in cafes in Yorba City in Tampa around the 1900s. That's, that's when it was like first documented. Miami, as I said, fiercely lay claim that they invented the Cuban sandwich because, of course, we all know that there is a massive Cuban population there. But I think most historians tend to agree if they're not from Miami or Tampa, that, um, <laughs> that it actually sort of started in Tampa, but Miami popularized it and introduced it to the world. If it had just oh, stayed- Oh, we're going to get a lot of complaints oh, there, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Maybe we should and block course, this episode. And of course, of course, of course, as you said before, you've never had salami on a Cuban sandwich. So does salami being an addition- change the sandwich completely or does it it's got nothing to do with cuba that's for sure exactly. but then again pickles don't really either or mustard no so it's confusing so let's let's have a bit of a chat about the rivalry between tampa and miami Alrighty. so here's the facts there is actually recorded evidence that the cuban sandwich existed in tampa in the 1900s yes People could have been eating sandwiches anywhere around the world in different places. With pork and pickles. Probably yeah, they were eating so, that. I mean, it's not saying that it anywhere. wasn't going on in Miami. Someone tried to like do some argument that Miami was just a swampland in the 1900s, but I looked it up and there was definitely settlements in Miami at that time. So I don't know who was going on about it just being swamp. So they're making like swampy, Someone soggy from Tampa, sandwiches. Probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, I saw that there were settlements in the 1900s through what I researched, so obviously they could have been making sandwiches there. But the main point is that it wasn't really until Fidel Castro's rise to power in 1959 that that real solid wave of Cuban immigration started hitting Miami and really building that population there. And with them, of course, they brought their culture and cuisine, and that is when we start seeing actual evidence of the Cuban sandwich in Miami. So I think, as as said before, from the re- like from evidence and and whatnot, it does look like it kind of began in Tampa, and it was kind of this meaty thing in Cuba, but then it hit Miami and they sent it to the rest of the world. They put it on the world stage. So Cuban pork sandwich. Cuban workers go, I want a pork sandwich in Tampa, and they go, Cool. Well, we've got these other ingredients. Let's put them on. And then Miami goes, oh, this is good. We could, we could really sell this. Yes. And then a whole wave of Cuban immigration are like, oh, this is even better than the sandwiches we eat back home. This is amazing. And then it's the Cuban sandwich. Exactly. World famous. They just instantly like, bring it into their, their culture and their tradition. The, the other solid thing that does need to be mentioned in this sort of argument is, as I 
mentioned in the very, very beginning of the segment, the Cuban bread. Does Cuban bread make it a Cuban sandwich? So it's actually something that was invented in Tampa at a bakery called La Joven Francesca Bakery, which was established in 1896 by a Sicilian-born Cuban-Spanish-Italian immigrant. Blimey. (laughs) Whose name was Francisco Felita. And he is said to have created this particular style of bread. Um, As we said, with the mix of lard and all that, everything in it. It was very unique in his style of what he was making. It sold for three to five cents a loaf in, uh, in Ybor City. It's Y-B-O-R. I don't know how to pronounce it. Ybor? Maybe. Ybor? Um, but that's Tampa. And at that time, it became incredibly popular. Because it had lard in it. It kept lard in it. And like milk, it used to be delivered every single morning to homes around Tampa. And houses actually had a sturdy nail driven into their door frames, like next to their doors, where the delivery men would literally just impale a loaf of bread <laughs> on this nail that so, you know, animals or anything like that couldn't get to the bread yeah. and it would be impaled on this nail. So it is a traditional form of bread from Tampa, from this Cuban-Spanish-Italian immigrant. <laughs> um, it is also the place where the first document sightings of the Cuban sandwich occurred. I I don't know. So, I don't know. You can put a bunch of meat, Swiss cheese, mustard on any old baguette, but does that make it a Cuban sandwich? Or is it the specific Cuban bread invented by La Joven Francesca Bakery that makes it a true Cuban sandwich? Or is it sticking to the whatever goes of the supposed original sandwich in Cuba and it's like, yeah, sure, that's cute. That's a Cuban sandwich, whatever. You decide. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I'm not getting into the argument. All I know is that I'm hungry right now. What I do know for sure is having spent a while in Cuba, if you ordered a Cuban sandwich, you did not get all those ingredients on it. And you did not get fancy bread. No. Like, if you went to some very touristy restaurants, they would serve you an American-style Cuban sandwich, a Florida-style. But most of the local sort of state-run restaurants... And we talk about what it means to be a state-run government restaurant in our full Cuba and Havana What to Eat episode and article. And you can look that up at foofuntravel.com slash Cuba podcast. They were not serving a fancy sandwich. It might be basically a ham sandwich with some cheese, or it might be like a pork sandwich with some ham. Yeah. And so it's, it it's, is the difficult thing of knowing whether or not pre-revolution they would have had access to more ingredients, which would have made yeah, their possible. sandwiches, you know, have more fillings and be like more fancy. That I don't know. But yeah. Currently, as we see things, yeah, if you go to Cuba, you're not going to get the Cuban sandwich experience that you would expect. Nah, I think if you want a great Cuban sandwich right now, this year, go to Florida. That's it. Yeah. That and is- Miami, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who fight between the two. Ybor City in Tampa has announced, they announced years ago that they are like their national sandwich is like the Cuban sandwich. It is their sandwich. They created it. Miami fiercely contends it. And there's definitely a lot of food critics who go between both. And, you know, you're going to have it, – it, it comes down to the bread and the salami. If you, if you dig the bread and salami, you're probably going to like the Tampa style more. If that's not your jive, then maybe you're going to like the Miami style more. I don't know. I don't know, but go to Florida, peeps. Go, go try a Cuban sandwich there. If you are booking a trip to Cuba – 
with the purpose of going to try a traditional Cuban sandwich, you will be disappointed. So make sure if you're going to Cuba, maybe give a go the Ropa Vieja and the Lobster Enchilado. And we'll go into the stories behind those Cuban dishes and many more in our full What to Eat in Cuba and Havana episode, which is coming very soon. You can also check out the notes for that because they're already published at foodfuntravel.com slash Cuba podcast, but the actual episode is coming out in just a few weeks, or it might already be out depending on when you are listening to this. But that is it for this episode. You can find the show notes about the Cuban sandwich at foodfuntravel.com slash Cuban sandwich. As well as talking about food in Havana, we are going to be doing some episodes on the mojito and the daiquiri, two of Cuba's most famous cocktails. So look out for those coming soon. And that's it. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen. New subscribers help boost us up the rankings as do new listeners. So if you've got foodie friends who might like this show, then share our podcast and help us grow it so we can go out there and make more episodes in the future and keep things running. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.